I, I just I just really feel like, you know, I'm now of the mind, especially with with what we're going through right now, I am absolutely convinced it's going to be grandmothers and poetry that are going to save the world. That's what I believe right now. I'm looking at how the world is working right now. And, you know, grandmothers, they know everything. And poetry knows everything, too. Poetry is usually the first to know everything. Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Toby Altman. And I'm Emily Barton Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poets and poetry. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Parnisha Jones. Hello, I am Parnisha Jones, poet, editor, Chicagoan, Evanstonian. Parnisha Jones is the author of Vessel. Jones has been honored with the Gwendolyn Brooks Poetry Award, the Margaret Walker Short Story Award, and the Aquarius Press Legacy Award. Her work has also been anthologized in She Walks in Beauty, A Woman's Journey Through Poems, edited by Caroline Kennedy, and The Ringing Ear, Black Poets Lean South, edited by Nikki Finney. A member of the Appalachian Poets, she serves on the board of Cave Canem and Global Rights. She currently holds positions as sales and subsidiary rights manager and poetry editor at Northwestern University Press, and she lives in Chicago. We talked to Parnesia about her poem, Autocorrecting History, which was written for President Obama's first inauguration. The poem tackles the racism of everyday things, like spellcheck and dictionaries. And it proposes poetry as an antidote and a counterweight, something that brings people together rather than dividing them. The, the one thing that I've learned about, you know, through poetry is how universal a lot of the things that we go through and feel. And I think that one of the reasons why I love being a writer and being a poet in particular is that it really does break down a lot of walls. Um, when I go and read, it's amazing that people that, you know, I would never think would be in my stratosphere of life, you know, come up to me and say, yeah, I have a grandmother just like that. Or, you know, I went through the exact same thing. I mean, I try to write about things that are very close to me. And the thing that always keeps popping up more and more when I put these poems out into the world is actually how universal they are. I was one of those people where you couldn't get me to write my name, let alone a poem. I was not interested in in poetry, even though writing always came easy to me. It wasn't something that I thought I was going to do for a living. Um, but there was something about uh, just being able to, to write about things that I thought that people didn't want to hear about. And I was really lucky that I had really good teachers along the way who encouraged me to write about the things that I came from. And then I was also very, very lucky to have met Gwendolyn Brooks. You know, next year we're coming up on the Gwendolyn Brooks centennial, so she is somebody who's really, really um, special to me in the sense that I met her when I was 19 or 20, and I had maybe, I was a poor poet. I had basically like three or four poems to my name, and I ended up having the chance to sit with her 
and she went over my poems and I still actually have them with all of her writing and everything on it. And I mean, that was kind of just a really a, a turning point for me. I remember she wrote her address on one of the poems and said that we should get together and write. Um, and I never, I never did see her again after that. You know, she died about six months later after that. But it was one of those things where I got exposure to people who looked like me and they were making a life as writers. And so it didn't seem that far-fetched. And I just kind of dove into it to, I think, my parents' dismay. But now they love it. They love it. My mother actually calls me quite often and says, did you write today? I grew up, I was born and raised in Evanston. And Evanston and Chicago often seem like different planets. Um, going into the city was a really big deal, you know, for me. Because, you know, Evanston, when I was growing up, often it looked like Mayberry. My grandfather also had blues clubs. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, the major reason why he came up from the South was he opened up clubs. And, and he had a little, um, a little juke joint on Clark Street, and I used to spend a lot of time in this place full of so, it was it was like this place that was a melting pot of people, of all different social classes and races. I mean, I got my first dog from um, Romanian gypsies that used to camp out in the back of this club. He used to let them camp out there, and so I got my first dog, Tuffy from them and you know Coco Taylor used to come in and sing in the club so I mean I got these exposures to what an incredible city this is the history the richness I mean Chicago is kind of the midpoint of all of this country in terms of the southern influence the eastern influence the west coast it's all kind of meshed together in, in Chicago, I think more so than any other city. I've never seen it in, in New York, I've never seen it in San Francisco or LA, the way I've seen it in Chicago. And so it is a character. I think it's a lot of different characters because it is a city that um, is so, the landscape is so vast. And so you can go to different parts of the city and have different experiences or different exposures to different cultures. And so Chicago is not only a great city, it's a livable city. You really feel your life as it's going in this city. And it just, there's so many things, there's so many prompts every day that I step out of my house. There's like 10 or 15 writing prompts that I can come up with um, just walking around the streets of Chicago. It's kind of amazing. So the editor uh, sent me a message and said you know I'm putting together this anthology um, do you have a Barack Obama poem and I did not have a Barack Obama poem so he's like I really want you to be part of this anthology you got 10 days to get me something so as most poets do i procrastinated for the first eight, I guess, days. Um, doing everything else was pretty much more interesting to me than writing this poem, including cleaning my oven and laundry, which is never interesting. So I just really couldn't think of anything. And so what I ended up doing was 
typing his name in my laptop and just kind of leaving it there. And I walked away for a couple hours and I came back and I noticed that, you know, spell check kind of picked it up as incorrect, which it often does with my name. So it just kind of something clicked in that whole idea of, you know, this is an incredible moment, but in, at the end of the day, we're one and the same. I'm really going to miss the president. I'm really going to miss, you know, I could often see pictures of him. He is a thing for babies, like playing with the babies and just the the moment, you know, where he will wait for his wife to come off the plane and walk her in the rain or something like that. And, you know, I just, I'll miss that whole idea of, you know, a president being human and really trying to hold on to that. I mean, you know, here's the leader of the free world, but I think throughout his entire presidency, regardless of what he has dealt with and regardless of the decisions that he's made, I think he's always very much held on to his human. I'm actually working on a couple of things right now where I'm trying to just kind of identify certain words that, you know, mean a great deal to me, but I feel that have been diluted. Things like humanity, things like forgiveness, things like empathy and compassion. And I chose this poem because I feel like we, as a society, are on the cusp of really losing those things in uh, in a in a very detrimental way, and I'm writing this essay about how we're surrounded by triggers, and you can't help but to pull them. But what happens on the other side of that? What happens on the other side of the violence or the judgment that we do? Like, how do we get through it? How do we kind of um, reason with it or, or deal with it, but also how do we find our, our compassion? The whole idea of um, racism, you know, it's not something that's going to go away. And I think that especially during this time, it revealed that it actually still is something embedded deep in all of us, you know, regardless of what race you are, I think it's Im embedded in all of our histories. And I think we are reaching a certain point where we, we have to face it. And it's a hard thing to face, and, but, you know, it's so steeped in our history and it's so steeped in what we're living today. It's like, we got to write these poems and we got to write these songs and we got to write these stories to kind of just, you know, come to terms with a lot of things. I think that poetry allows us to come to terms with a lot of things that we would not face otherwise in our living. So auto-correcting history for President Barack Obama. Spellcheck does not recognize this name. Yet, it tries with a red underline alert to tell me that this is wrong, that my letters are misplaced, leading my complicated PC with its perfect vocabulary to believe no such name exists. It offers suggestions to fix what history has already confirmed. 
these letters round about with all their beautiful curves and angles, their intricate folds forming perfect B's and A's, and the roundest O, shaping a name that has awakened us all. Barack and Obama caused keystroke duels between my autocorrect and me. Not willing to give up, it plugs in brick and a beam, trying to hold on tight to its king's English. This name isn't a mistake. No slip of the keys on my part. No half asleep or dazed typing. No hurried rush of tidal wave words and wonder. Every letter in this name comes with purpose. Each keystroke is meant. I highlight the name, click add to dictionary. I autocorrect my spell check. It must be understood that he exists, that we exist. We are real in breathing. We are hungry and rewriting dictionaries. We are poets and presidents. We have made it known that his name, our names, every black letter birthed from the blinking cursor is permanent and correct. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Chicago, Illinois. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. If you like what we do, check out our website, makenobonespodcast.org, for all of our old episodes. Or follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And please consider rating us on iTunes. It really helps. We talked extensively with Parnisha about her work with Kaveh Kanem, the Afrolation poets, and Northwestern University Press. We couldn't fit it in the episode, but it's a vital conversation, so we're releasing it as a mini-episode alongside this one, in which Parnisha talks about publishing, community, and diversity. Please check it out and join us next time for an interview with Taimba Jess.